How many of you have ever taken inventory or counted stock at the end of the year? Anybody? Do you like to do that? Who likes to take stock? I don't think anybody does. Or inventory, right? Nobody likes it. How many of you think it's boring and tedious to do? Especially if you take inventory. It is. You do, right? Sure. I think most people do. Nobody likes it, really, except those who work um, by the hour. <laughs> but what happens after an inventory is taken and all of the stock is t accounted for, the inventory is taken, you know where you are, you know what you sold, you know what you need to get to restock, and everything else in the books come out, and you notice, hey, we made some money last year. Then all of a sudden the stock taken, hey, that's great. Right? Makes you feel good. But now sometimes it's on the other part of the ledge as well. You might make a loss as well and you feel dejected. But at least you know where you are. Isn't that right? Now, of course, an audit is a little bit more intense than inventory. An audit is you've got to account for every penny, right? Everything you've got to make an account for and you have to have a record of everything when you take an inventory. Now, in the United States, one of the dreaded phrases is to hear that the IRS has called you for an audit. Nobody wants to hear that, right? Well, you know what? God wants us to do both in our spiritual life. Take inventory and to take an audit of our position. Where are we in relationship to him? He wants us to make a periodic audit and checkup of our spiritual condition. I want you to listen to the Apostle Paul. Now, it's very important to see in context. You're not going to go into detail, but I need to set the stage for you in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is a very difficult book for preachers because this is a book in which the Apostle is attacked. He's being attacked by the congregation, the members of the church. They said that he's only in the ministry for the money. They even denied that he was a true apostle. They didn't like his preaching. Sounds familiar? No, they didn't. They didn't like his preaching. They didn't uh, uh, believe that he was a true apostle. They were finding all kinds of things to accuse him of. This is a tough book to read, you see. He wrote a couple of letters. We have one of them. We have two of them. But it appears that he wrote another one, and it's a very hard letter. Condemning these members of the church for accusing him of these particular sins. That letter is lost. Then he wrote this, then we have 2 uh, Corinthians, of course. But there's another tough letter that he writes. Now, I don't have time to go into all of it, because as I said... Uh, it's a very interesting thing, and it gives us the dynamics that goes within a church. By the way, you know, always here to say that we should set up and have a New Testament church. How many of you all would like to have a New Testament church? You all afraid to answer that? Because you're not going to know that. Well, you should be, because there's no ID in New Testament church. Every one of the church has problems, and I mean some serious problems. You know? Now, I want you to listen to the Apostle Paul now, because he's answering these people who's attacking him. They were behaving so badly that he had a hard time believing that they were Christians because of some of the things they were saying. 
I'm going to read from verse 1 for connection, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, this is the third time I am coming to you. Every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. You see, they were accusing him of things. And he wants to make the point that, hey, if you accuse this, you've got to be sure that you have solid facts behind it. I have previously said when presented, when present, the second time, and though now absent, I say in advance to those who have sinned in the past and to all the rest as well, that if I come again, I will not spare anyone. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. Since you are seeking for proof of the Christ who speaks in me. They were even denying that he was saved. And who is not weak towards you but mighty in you. For indeed he was crucified because of weakness. Yet he lives because of the power of God. For we also are weak in him. Yet we live with him because of the power of God directed towards you. Now listen to this text. Because this is what we're going to focus on. Test yourselves. King James says examine, I believe. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves, his word. Or do you not recognize about yourselves that Jesus Christ in you? Unless indeed you fail the audit. You fail the examination. You fail the test. You fail the introspection. But I trust that you will realize that we, ourselves, do not fail the test. I want you to see this in context now. Paul, Paul is not holding any punches here. He's saying to these folk, are you of all people questioning my salvation and my apostleship? He says, you, yourselves, are proof of the validity of my salvation and of my apostleship. The fact is that Christ is in you because of me. I know that I am saved. But what about you? See, he's responding this way because of the unchristlike way they were attacking him. You certainly are not behaving as though you are in Christ. Then he gives a strong command to them. This is what he says. Examine yourself. To see if you are in the faith. Examine yourself. To see if you are in the faith. Make an audit of your position in Christ. Have you ever done that? It's a call for a spiritual checkup. A call for a spiritual audit. A call for a spiritual inventory. The King James puts it this fashion. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. It means test your own selves. Know you not that, know you not your own selves, how that Christ is in you, except you be reprobates? Isn't that a harsh term? A repro Paul is talking to Christians. Now here's how the New Living Translation puts the same verse. Examine yourselves. To see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. 
Listen to the NIV. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the audit. You fail the examination. You fail the test. Now listen to the message. My least favorite book, but this one, I like this one. Test yourselves to make sure you are solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourselves regular checkups. You need first-hand evidence, not mere hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. Test it out. If you fail the test, do something about it. I like that. That's the challenge that I'm putting out to all of us as we begin a new year. Are you really saved? Or do you just profess to be so? Can you honestly pass the lifestyle, life-changing test of salvation? Does your life show any change whatsoever that you have been born again? Has there been a time in your life that you purposely and objectively acknowledged that you were a sinner on your way to hell and that you needed Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as your Savior? Has there been a time when you knowingly acknowledged that he died and was raised again on your behalf? Many of you would say, yes, of course. I did it. I remember I raised my hand. I walked down the aisle. I signed a piece of paper. But I'm not asking you if you did those things. I'm asking you if you're saved. Because signing a piece of paper, walking down the aisle, raising your hand does not save you. So I'm asking you, are you really saved? Or are you just trusting about that time you emotionally walked down? Because everybody else was doing it. And boy, I just couldn't risk it. Just as I am without one plea, I had to come down. Have you experienced that inner confirmation upon your spirit by the Spirit of God that you belong to Jesus Christ? That God the Father is indeed your Father? Have you experienced that inner conviction? What is it that you are basing your salvation upon? Is it your good intentions? That won't do. Is it your church membership? That won't do either. Is it how regularly you come out? Well, if that's true, I don't know. Anyway, uh, that won't do either. Let me ask you something. As you take this salvation's self-test, will you at, the, at this time, the end of an old year, the beginning of a new one, after you've taken the test, will you still be on your way to hell? Or will you have the affirmation that you're on your way to glory with Jesus Christ? That's the purpose of this. What is your spiritual status? Examine yourself to see whether or not you be in the faith. Oh, you say, I've been a part of a church for many years. I've even been involved in the ministry. You know, one of the things that Billy Graham always used to make a point of, he says, 
when you first start out especially, most of the people who used to respond to his invitations would be choir members and deacons. That's right. Choir members and deacons used to respond to his message. They thought they were saved, serving, but they were not. You remember the words Jesus says? Not all who say, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Even some whose works show that they perform miracles in the name of Christ will be rejected as impostors. Depart from me, he will say, I never knew you. My friends, this is the time for your annual spiritual checkup. It may be the first for some of you. I hope it won't be the last. Are you saved? Are you really saved? Examine yourself carefully and honestly. Are you in the faith? You say, Pastor Lee, are you trying to get us to doubt our salvation? No. I'm trying to get you to be assured of your salvation. And you know, sometimes the best way to get that assurance is to begin with a doubt. That's what the Apostle Paul was doing here in this passage with the Corinthian believers. I want to be sure that you are sure that as you enter a new year, you do not enter a new year either without Christ or without the assurance, the blessed assurance that you do belong to him. I want you to be sure that if you were to die today, you would know for certainty that for you, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I want you to have that assurance. He died to save you. I want you to have the assurance that would be based not on what you do, or what you have done, or what you would like to do, but simply and only because you have genuinely turned to Christ in faith and relied upon him as your savior. Now, of course, for some of you, unfortunately, you don't even have to make such an examination. You know that you are still unsaved. Because you've never, never responded to the gospel. You've heard it. But you've never responded. You've rejected it, and you've rejected the Christ who's saying, come just as you are. You know that you are lost and you know that you're on your way to hell. You know that. You don't have to take any further test. I implore you, as we begin this new year, change that position. Change that status. Change your decision to reject him and receive him as your savior today. You, like any and all of us, may not see the completion of this year. You need to settle accounts with God right now. You need to accept Jesus Christ as savior. You need to make room for him in your life, not tomorrow, but today. But you say, I don't have, Pastor, time, Pastor Lee, I don't have the time to be bothered with this kind of thing right now, man. I got too many things to think about. I say to you, 
You don't have time not to think about this. The old year's already ended. The new year has begun. You may not experience the ending of this year, much less the ending of this day. Yesterday is gone. It's already too late to do anything about yesterday. Tomorrow may never come for, any, for us, for you. And so the only and most reasonable and logical time for you to accept Jesus Christ is right now. Any other time is illogical. It just does not make sense. Today is the day of salvation. You remember Jesus' pointed encounter with the rich business executive? His business was doing well. So well, in fact, that he had to expand and make more buildings. He had no time to prepare for eternity, but he had a lot of time to prepare for time. But Jesus said to him, with uncertain clarity, You fool! You will die tonight and give account to God for your life. Your audit has been scheduled. Who, you, who do you think you're going to own all of this stuff that you're storing away? Who's going to profit from it? You certainly won't profit from it. You hoarded it. You made it, but you will not profit from it. Your audit, the time for audit is now. Which will a man really profit even though he accumulates great riches, but loses his own soul? The answer is simple. He doesn't gain anything, but he loses everything. So I implore you, do it now, if you've never received Jesus Christ. Make room for Christ in your heart and your life right now, today. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. Please bow with me in a word of prayer. Or in a time of reflection. I want you to evaluate your spiritual condition before God. Are you a Christian and sure of it? I want you to simply acknowledge that in your heart to God right now. If you've never received Christ before, why not say a prayer, something like this? It doesn't have to be word for word. Say whatever it is that God puts into your heart, but it may be something like this. If you'd like, you can follow me if you've never received Christ in this prayer. Say something along these lines. Father, God, I know, I now confess that I am a sinner. And I ask your forgiveness for my sinful state and my sinful actions. I know that my sin deserves being separated, separated from you forever. But I thank you that you loved me so much that you sent your divine son to become a sinless man so that he could die in my place. Thank you too for raising him from the dead to show that you accepted his death on my behalf. 
Father God, I now trust him as my Savior and rely upon him as a divine source of my salvation. Thank you for saving me. And please help me to please and honor you in my life. I pray this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, if you've done that, you're ready for us to begin our audit. You have a handout. And we want to begin with the first one there. Salvation. Notice how it goes. By the way, you have a checkup tool. You have a checkup tool there. Uh, let me give you the... Um, uh, you see there are two, um, two headings there, unsatisfied and satisfied. And then you have the numbers from 1 through 10. Right? It's very simple. The left side of the scale or tool indicates that you are completely dissatisfied with the area we're checking up on. It could be a no, depending on the question. The right side indicates that you're completely satisfied with the area. It could be a yes. Is that understood? For instance, with salvation. I have, if you check that, then that'll be certainty, right? Satisfied. So you'll put 10 on the scale. If you say, I have not received Christ as Savior, then you would put it where? On one, zero. Actually, zero, but one. That's how you would score all of the tests. Okay, are we ready for that? If you... I have, you check it, if you receive Christ as Savior, already have done so, either in this service or before. Or I have not received Christ as Savior, check that off as well, and put your score there. Now, we have steps to correct. For instance, if you have not yet received Christ, I will. You check that off. If you plan to do it, or if you plan to stay on your way to hell, just put, I will not receive him. I'm sorry, that's, that's the way it is. Don't laugh. That's the way it is. I want you to see this is a time for decision. All right? The sign for decision. All right, now let's move on from that. That's the beginning point. Let's move on to our other area for the annual spiritual checkup. And these will be general traits if you want. First, with the Word of God. First question in the checkup. I have grown in my understanding of the Word of God through personal Bible study. In other words, do you have a personal Bible study? Do you study the Bible personally? Now, if you don't, then you put zero there or one, whatever it is. Actually, if you don't do it, put zero. I'm talking about personal Bible study now. I'm not just talking about the promises for the day or the little promises you take out of the box. I'm talking about personal Bible study. 
where you go through the word and you're searching it and you're praying that the spirit of God will help you to see the truth of the word. Are you listening to your God personally by going to his word? That's what I'm talking about. Personal Bible study. Have you come to understand the word better through a group Bible study? This could be a Sunday school class. It could be the mini church. But it isn't a group situation. But the point is you are learning more about the word. Where do you fall on the scale? If you think it's just well average, put five or six. What about the pulpit ministry? Do you get anything from listening to preachers? How much do you get? What about memorization of scripture? A word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against you. These are some of the ways that we get to understand more about God by understanding more about his word. Please understand, you cannot understand more about God unless you understand more about his word. Because God is revealed to us in and through his word. As far as the intimacy aspect is concerned. Now to get an average of this, you divide it by four. Now sometimes I think we made a mistake as we go along. I'll bring it out to you in the form you have. But divide by four, you get an average. And you put that average there. Understood? Now if you, fa- if you feel right now that, hey, I do not have a personal Bible study, then what do you plan to improve? This is just, this doesn't give you all the space you need, of course, but gives you plans for doing it. If God is speaking to you about Bible study, to study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, accurately handling the Word of God, and you want to learn how to do that, will you, will you put the, I am going to sign up to go to Telios? Now, that's not the only way, but I'm just saying, make something specific. Don't just say, yes, I can do it. What are you going to do? Are you going to go to your Sunday school teacher says, hey, I want you to teach me how to study the Bible? Are you really, uh, will you sign up? Will you do so? How are you going to improve in any of these areas? And the same thing is true for group Bible study. Are you in this group, in a small group? Do you attend Sunday school? Do you, are you a part of the mini church? Do you attend the preaching service here? Or do you go home when the preaching service starts? That shows an attitude, by the way. Memorization of the word. Where are you? What are you going to do to improve yourself? Let's move to the other area. Prayer. I have enhanced and enriched my prayer life this year through private prayer. Do you pray? The ladies had a wonderful demonstration by Dr. Hala yesterday about a prayer room. And she set it up with all the prayer lists, the maps, and all of these things, with names and so on. Beautiful. So many different ways it can help to encourage. But do you have a prayer life? Do you really pray? Corporate prayer. Do you pray? Even when we have it here, do you pray? Or you say, man, let's get this over it. I won't, you know. Do you really pray? Some people really ask, why do we do these things in the church in the morning service? Because this is where the saints gather. 
and saints are supposed to pray when they come together. Isn't that right? Well, you're the only one I see ever do that. Good. Maybe the others will learn. People of God are supposed to pray. And I have no qualms about doing it here on Sunday morning. None whatsoever. Small group prayer. Again, that could be a mini church. Sunday school. Do we spend any time in our Sunday school classes to pray? Memorization of the word. You say, why is that there? Well, one of the best ways to pray is to pray back the word of God. You know that? Take a, one of the Psalms, for instance, and just take the position that you are the psalmist and pray it to God. Now, again, that should be four there rather than three. Steps to improve. Again, it's the same principle. If you don't pray privately enough, what are you going to do about it? When are you going to do it? Are you going to say, I'm going to do it at 5 o'clock on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, or whenever it is? When are you going to do it? Make it specific. These are just guidelines. Let's move on to number four. Evangelism or sharing the faith. I have been faithful in sharing the gospel with the lost. I have shared with approximately how many people? How many people have you shared the gospel with this year? One, two, three, four, five, none? See what an audit does? It makes us scared. I have led how many people to Christ? Now here, of course, it means that you have to make an attempt to do it. I have or I have not learned how to, serve, how to, how to uh, share Christ. Now, of course, we've tried to do that for several years. We show you procedures of how to share the gospel. We've made the opportunities available. Have you learned it? Do you have any way to share your faith with somebody who you might just be casually speaking to and all of a sudden the opportunity arises? We ought to share our faith. Divide by three for the average score, put it down. How are you going to improve? This is an inventory of their spiritual condition. This reflects whether or not you have a thriving, living faith. Or is your faith a dead faith? What about the church life? I have been faithful in fulfilling my corporate privileges and responsibilities. And that's what it is when we're part of a body of Christ. The privileges and their responsibilities. Many of us like privileges, but we don't like responsibilities. Attendance. How's your attendance been the past year? Book of Acts says that the saints, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. 
prayer and the fellowship and so on. They devoted, that's quite a word, devoted, committed themselves to it. He doesn't say, well, I come, you know, the ball game isn't on. Or if another preacher isn't on on TV. This has to do with worship as well here. It has to do with the corporateness of the church life, you see. That's where growth takes place within the body of Christ. What about your service and ministry? Sharing the gifts that God has given you so the body might grow and develop. So that you may grow and develop through the input of other people's gifts and so on. That's a part of the spiritual life. It's impossible for you to grow into spiritual maturity without involvement in the local body. It's impossible because the body is not a limb. The church is not a limb. The church is a body. Fellowship. That's why I got this. You got to be careful how you do something that's fellowship. That's why I got the flu. I was partying until almost 2 o'clock. New Year's Eve, that souse out and all of that. That was fellowship, though. Now, it is only talk about that kind of fellowship. It talks about sharing in the life of individuals. It's amazing how some of us think we share in life, but we come to these things and we have our own little table, our own little clique, we don't talk to anybody else. And we walk out there and then we say, I've been fellowshipping with the saints. No, you've been fellowshipping with people like you. You see? We're talking about the fellowship of the people of God. That's what he's talking about. Giving. We just had the privilege of doing that today. Of our means for the ministry of the corporate body. We are stewards. Have you been a faithful steward? Have you been giving your money to the Lord? Have you been giving it to the preacher or teacher? We say, what do you mean? Well, you give it to the preacher, then you only say, I only going to give if I like what's happening. You give to the Lord, when you say, I can give it to the Lord because it's a part of the body of Christ. The whole difference. Again, get your total by dividing four, you get the average. Now those are... I call those things um, peripheral matters. Now we come to the real core. And we're going to continue this this evening. I'm, I'm sure I'm not going to have anybody come out this evening. <laughs> because nobody likes to take an audit. And we're going to go into an audit. Now we're looking at character. I'm doing this now because Paul says what? Examine yourself, see whether or not you be in the faith. Some of us have never examined it. We just relied upon walking down the aisle, raising a hand or signing a piece of paper. We never look at whether or not I've been changed. Is my attitude the same way it was before I became a Christian? Let's look at the Christian character. We begin with the virtues that Peter mentions in 2 Peter chapter 1. It's verse 10 I want to look at, but let me read the whole passage again for context. Simon Peter, a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. He's assuming that these people are Christians. By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace 
be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the knowledge that comes from the word of God. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life. Isn't that a wonderful... You hear that? He has granted his, to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything. Through the true knowledge of him. Notice the emphasis on knowledge. Through the true knowledge of him who called us. It's amazing how many people have been saved a long time, but they're still ignorant of the word of God. And they base their Christian living on how they feel. Not what God tells them, regardless of their feeling. If I feel good about it, I do it. Even if God tells you to do something and you're just going to do it if you feel good, then you are a disobedient Christian. Who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us precious and magnificent promises. So that by them, notice now, by them, these promises, all in his word, you may become partakers of the divine natures. In other words, these things will show that you are God-like. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this reason also, applying all diligence in your faith. Supply moral knowledge in your moral excellence. Not, uh, and in your moral knowledge, ec- back up. In your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For, <coughs> excuse me. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Notice now verse 10 on the screen. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain. See that? Check up. Audit. Inventory. Be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. If you don't practice them, you're going to stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. So he's given us a list of things that we must add to our faith to demonstrate that we are partakers of the divine nature. That means if these things are not evident, first you've got to check whether you're saved. If they aren't, you've got to check whether you're obedient to the word of God. Let's look at them quickly. He goes with faith. He says, add to your faith. This is the foundation of our salvation. You cannot be saved by your works or your good looks. That's one of the things that disappointed me. (laughs) Faith is the foundation of salvation. Everything is is based upon and added to your faith. All of this stuff here, as we mentioned, comes as a result of true faith. Genuine faith. None of the other virtues are possible without faith in Christ. So that's why we began with salvation. 
And so we're simply asking here again, when faith, are you saved? If you're not, zero. If you are, ten. That's the point. He said, add to your faith moral excellence. This is the first thing you must demonstrate as a part of your salvation. Moral excellence. This refers to a virtuous or moral lifestyle. No filth of any kind in your life. No filth from the TV or movies in your mind. Morality. Inward and outward. Whether you see it, whether you go to places, whatever it is, if it's more immoral, filth, you got to check up to see whether or not your faith is genuine. So be it what you see or places you go, you're not to be enslaved to any kind of desires, passions, or substances. Oh yes, it may be a struggle, but you're struggling. You're not just letting it take place. Moral excellence. No one has a doubt about your morality. No one. How do you rate? One to ten. Check up the books you read, what you watch on TV. Check it up. Add to that knowledge. This is knowledge of Christ and the Word of God. We've talked about that already, about learning how to study the Bible, the Word of God. How much do you really know about God? How much? What do you know about the attributes of God? Have you ever gazed at His majesty, His beauty, His wonder, the holiness of God? Have you ever dwelled on what that meant or means? Have you ever tried to imagine how God, who is so holy, can talk to someone like you or me who is so filthy in sin? Without holiness, no one can see God. How much emphasis do you put on holiness in your life? Knowledge of God comes through the Word of God. Knowledge of God drives us to holiness or drives us away from Him. Add to it self-control. How do you rate? This has to do with discipline of your passions and your emotions. You don't give in to temptations. You don't give in to temptations. You don't fly off the handle and say, that's just me. Self-control. Attitude, actions, passions, emotions. Have you got them under control? Or some believer comes to you and just because it does something a little different and you come agitated and all of a sudden, I ain't going to work with him no more. 
I ain't gonna have that body. Nobody working with no way. Mm-mm. Spiritual checkup. Perseverance. This is faithful consistency in spite of difficulties or disappointments. I like to call it spiritual stickability. You're doing what you're doing because you're honoring and glorifying God. Not because you're just doing it for personal gratitude or thankfulness or whatever. You're doing it to honor and to glorify God. And so you're going to stick in there. That's what Paul did in Corinthians, by the way. I mean, if Paul would listen to those members of the church at Corinth, he'd go back to... Was he fishing? No, what did he do? Tent making. He would, that's what he'd done. He would have done that. But he was in the ministry because he knew he was called by God. And he stood there in spite of the opposition that he was getting from carnal believers. Perseverance. Stick to it How do you say that? Well, you know what I mean, right? Then he says, add to this God. Now, check it out now. You say, Pastor, this little Mickey Mouse is doing this thing. Is it? Or is it just because you're afraid to do it? Because you don't want to face where you really are. That's why you don't want to do it. Now, he said, well, I'm not going to do it here. Well, fine. I hope you do it sometime, though, somewhere. Because believe it or not, God is doing an audit on you all the time. And he's using some of these same standards right here. Brotherly, godliness, godliness. This is a lifestyle or disposition that reflects holiness. A lifestyle or disposition that reflects God. Holiness. It's a lifestyle that causes people to say, he, she has been with Jesus. That's godliness. And then brother, brotherly kindness. This is a compassionate attitude and disposition toward others at all times. A compassionate attitude and disposition toward others at all times. You recognize that we are part of the same family. If your brother or sister do something to you, say, I ain't going to talk to you no longer. Well, at least you shouldn't. Or I can kick you out of the house. Or I ain't coming to dinner with you anymore. Now, some people do that, but they know it's wrong. But yet we do that with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We do it. We get hurt by them once. We disappoint them once. And for a lifetime, they ain't going to talk to us or have the same attitude towards us. They come down this aisle, we, they go up that aisle. When they come into a fellowship or a church, they look and they say, really sitting there? I come and sit over here. We laugh, we smile, but all of that shows ungodliness. And that's where the things that God is going to evaluate you and me upon. Then, steps to improve. Look at each one of these areas and ask the Spirit of God to show you where you can improve. And see, the plan is now, that's what you do for the new year. 
If you follow through on this, and I hope you do take it home, and I hope you do work it out, change whatever you have, but use it as a guideline. You could have a plan for spiritual growth for 2009. So that when you come to the end of that period, and you take an audit of yourself spiritually, you'll have better marks. You understand what I'm saying? You'll be on the profit side rather than the loss. God wants us to evaluate our spiritual condition. He wants us to take an audit of our position, condition, status before him. It's tedious. I don't think it's boring. It's frightening. But it's necessary. I remember, and I regret not doing it in later years, but when I started off in the ministry, Jane Getz had written a book called The Measure of a Man. He's also written, written one called The Measure of a Woman. He also written one called The Measure of a Church. He also written one called The Measure of a Marriage. But that's where I learned how to do these self-evaluations. Because for every one of the, I think he had 21 or 22 traits of what a, what a pastor or an elder is supposed to be, he had this scale. And I started to evaluate myself according to that scale. First time I did it, I promised I'll never do it again. Because it made me so ashamed of where I was. But as I got into it, I started to go on each one with the determination that if I have a five here, by next month I'm going to have an eight. If I have a four here, I'm going to have a six. You understand what I'm saying? It gave me something. It gave me an objective. And that helped me to grow as a man of God. Now, one of the most scary times, I don't know if Nancy can remember this, it was... It was uh, it was uh, suggested that just you doing the evaluation is not enough. You need to have somebody else to do it with you. Now just imagine, suppose you sit down with your friend and go through these things like this. Do you think you feel comfortable? No. But this one suggested to do it with your wife. Nancy, you remember that? And I sat down with Nancy. That's the only time I ever did it because I got enough. But no, I'm only kidding. But she was honest. She went through each one. I was surprised at some of the things she said. Some was good, some not so good. But are you willing to do that? To show that you are determined to become more godlike, Christ-like in your life? You see, sometimes we get so way up here preaching. People like to hear people preach. But when you come right down to the practical thing to see if the preaching really impacts me, I don't want to do it. I just like the way he preaches. I like all the jokes he says. And I like he only preaches 20 minutes. Then talk about me. <laughs> but when you come right down, all right, what did you preach about today? Without holiness, no man shall see God. What does that mean? I don't know. I know he preached it, and boy, he preached it with power, especially how he said, holiness. Without holiness! Wasn't that something? But what does it mean? What does it mean? You go right out the door, it doesn't mean a thing. 
You go home and you have rose preacher rather than rose word. Beloved, listen. I want you to remember this. My calling as a preacher, as a pastor, is to proclaim the word in such a way that you might be presented faultless before Christ. That's it. And I take that seriously. You see? That means you get to get down to doing things like this. Tedious? Yeah. Boring? I hope not. But essential. Because it tells you where you are. I'm going to continue this tonight. I'm going to count see how many people come out. We're going to be looking at the other side of this. All we have here, we're going to go to the fruit of the Spirit and all of those. We're going to look at them one by one and explain them. And if we have time, the negative side, which is the work of the flesh. We might have to leave that for another time. But I invite you, I encourage you to come out if you really want some help in finding out where you are spiritually. Please bow with me in a word of prayer. Father, your word is a lamp unto our pathway. But your word is also alive. It's like a two-edged sword that pierces deep into our being, into our soul. It illuminates our intentions from our desires and our actions. It brings conviction, brings conversion, but it also brings maturity. Give us, we pray, by your Holy Spirit, the grace and the courage we need to check up to see whether or not we be in the faith. And if we are, if our lifestyle is reflecting the triune God and what we do and how we do it, and what we say and how we say it, in our attitudes, oh, Father, we pray, help us to mature in Christ so that we might honor you at all times. And all of God's people said, Amen.